Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Lizzie. And joining us today, special guest co-host, we have Mr. Garrison Davis. Sir, how are you? Uh, doing good. Um, your hair looks luscious. Wavy and, and I'm apparent, apparently drinking Windex. You guys, our listeners, he's drinking this, literally, it looks like Windex, a neon blue kind of transparent liquid. And it looks toxic. And he's just it laughing. Probably, and he looks really happy. Is. So I recommend that everyone at home drink Windex. I'm just kidding. We want to talk to Garrison's parents because it we, looks really unhealthy. We don't approve. We do <laughs> yeah. not approve, no. man. Um, no. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of weird ingredients in this. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. it's probably not great. No. <laughs> no. You should never look any, you drink anything that looks like Windex. That's my, I've, as a GI doctor, I've, that's what I say. I've, oh, no. I'm, I'm literally drinking whiskey right now as I'm telling him to stop drinking that blue concoction. What are you drinking over there, Lizzie? What is that? It's actually just a non-alcoholic beverage at this moment. It's lemonade type thing. It's like a freshly squeezed lemon with seltzer. It's like super healthy. That. All right, Garrison, we're not role models is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> do as we say, not as we do. Um, uh, we're very grateful that you decided to join us today. We have a really cool guest coming up. We have a Dr. Chase Anderson, and he is a uh, psychiatry uh, fellow right now, a child psychiatry fellow. And we're going to talk to him about some LGBTQ issues. Um, and we could dedicate multiple, multiple shows to this, but I figure we have to at least start scratching the proverbial surface. Before we do that, though, would you be willing to tell us, because you're also, you're what we call a youth yeah. You're a, you're a youth uh, type person. And um, 
Would you tell us your own coming out story? Would you talk about that a little bit? I think that might be useful before we go into our discussion with Dr. Anderson. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to know how you, how you identify yourself. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. I, I currently just like, I don't know, call myself queer. I don't know. I, I've somewhere in between the bi pan gay queer genre, but also like, also um, like including gender too. I don't, I'm not, I don't really, I don't know. My, I usually describe my gender as whatever is useful in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't know. There's, there's terms like agender and gender queer that are, I sometimes relate to, um, but it, uh, it kind of changes. It kind of fluctuates. I, I don't, I don't consider myself cisgender, but it's very useful to go by he, him pronouns sometimes in the world. And sometimes it's useful to uh, be more, I don't know, be more ambiguous, which I also enjoy. Um, I, I like being androgynous. I like, uh, yeah, I, I like playing around with both gender, like presentation and just, you know, and just, just gender identity. I don't, I don't know. That's why I, I'm growing to like the term queer more and more because it's, less defined it's less kind of pinned down yeah so you can be you know queer in like sexual preference and sexuality but also and also queer in gender did you um read about or watch or hear about the kid cuddy performance on saturday night live where this um young black man this rapper kind of a hip-hop whatever like label genres we can argue about that uh, came out in a dress on stage a really girly kind of 13 year old or quinceanera type dress and you know, it's about kind of trying to stretch and defy gender roles. And I thought it was really interesting. And he really paid a lot of homage to Kurt Cobain. So do you, did you see that or read about it? Um, no, I've, I think I've blocked most SNL things on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, because you're going you're, you're to watch Elon Musk though, right? I mean, you're going to watch the Musk, aren't you? No, the, the, the discourse around SNL on Twitter has just gotten, uh, gotten to be a, a little too much. I think, I think I muted all those terms. Um, at this at this point. Well, this is but, not Twitter. This is from having watched it. So. But yeah, but like the, um, that sounds lovely. Uh, yeah, that's I'm I'm all I'm all for that. I know uh, they used to have a relatively transphobic sketch. I think called Pat. Um, yeah. And I during the summer I would get I would get like a uh, like far right people sending me Pat screenshots, being like, "Ha ha, this is you," because you don't look necessarily super male or female. And I'm like. Thanks, I guess. Mm. That's kind of what I'm yeah. going for. I first didn't know what Pat was. I had to like send it to like group like um group chats on Signal with all, oh. all the journalists. I'm like, why are people sending me this image? They're like, oh, it's like this old SNL sketch about Gar- like about an Garrison, androgynous person. That's our era of yeah. SNL. You can just talk to us about old stuff. Jesus Christ. I can't <laughs> yeah. he's like he's like it was like at the same time it was this really old movie. I think it was black and white called uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Ah, it was really old. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that that's us. Um, yeah. We know we know Pat Garrison. You don't need Pat. to give us I, context. I have I have no idea. I had no idea funny. what this was. It, it was not funny. It was no, no ca- unfrozen caveman lawyer. It was no massive head wound, Harry. Those are the ones you should Google. Those are hilarious. That was this running bit. It was lame. Anyways, tell us about your story because uh, it might relate to what we talk about in a little bit here with Dr. Anderson. Yeah. So like I grew up in a much more kind of uh, Christian conservative environment um, in Canada. And in like when I was a preteen, my family moved away from that, and we moved to Portland, where I've I've been ever ever since. I was homeschooled once I moved to Portland, so you know everything was very much uh, bubbled. There was like a built-in whole community with like a school and the church and everything. So like you know all my schooling was classical conservative, 
kind of stuff. So not sure. not not super great opinions on uh, LGBT issues. Not incredibly informed. Sure, I got it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's sometimes you know quite quite openly hostile. Sometimes, um, you know, like the, the the church I was at, you know, sent people to conversion therapy. Um, now, my my parents were much more uh, progressive and liberal than what they really let on. That's kind of part of why they moved away. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I wasn't super aware of that cause we, we didn't really talk much about political stuff. Um, so, you know, I was still kind of stuck in this kind of like weird, weird place. Um, when, when I was being homeschooled, there was like a Christian, um, homeschool group that I, we would like meet up with once a week. And I started meeting some kids there that, uh, definitely were queer. Um, whether they really knew it at that time or not, but you, know, mm. you, you could tell something's different about them. How, how old were you at this point? I was in like my very early teens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, you know, I just started to, you know, learn more about, you know, just, just being around other people who were different. And then, you know, as, as I'm maturing, realizing, oh no, maybe I also like things that are not that are not, you know, considered normal and are not different. And that, and that, 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 you know, so kind of personal experience is really what pushed me into kind of moving away from that more regressive worldview. Yeah. And then, you know, learning, and then, you know, that leads you to learn more about, you know, history um, and, you know, moving into like, moving into, you know, leftism and stuff, even, you know, you going, going beyond just liberalism. Wait, um, but, but you're saying that learning about social issues, learning about history, that, unlocked something in you or opened you up to something what do you i mean you almost mean? the opposite like like you know like i i re- i was to putting you know i i got to meet some people who were very different from the people i'd been around previously you know and like like the very hyper hyper conservative christian environment you know mm-hmm. w- once you're around a few people that are different you're like oh this really kind of expands the possibilities of things mm-hmm. not everything is this like specific right. bad stereotype not everything is, you know, as simple. So, you know, once that gets cracked, you start to, you know, think about yourself differently. Like, be like, oh, maybe I don't really like girls that much, and I actually am attracted to uh, guys. And you know, and that's that's. And once that happens, you know, your whole world kind of breaks down, and you're like, oh, if I was so wrong about this thing, what else am I like wrong about? Yeah. You know, yeah it, just, it, op- it opens up the way you see the world around you. You know, everything. Yeah. The chink in your armor was you went from one Christian Bible study group in Canada to a different <laughs> Christian Bible study group in Portland, and your mind was blown. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, 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 you know, it was, it was still a very conservative group. But, right, you know, I'm just like, maybe your parents Portland. put you in a special like, group of like, unique kids. Maybe your parents really have saw something in you that you didn't even know. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to... They were trying to help me in those ways. You know, I've, I've talked with them about this kind of stuff for, the, for like the past few years. And they were definitely trying to lead me down a better path. But I was, I was always so independent and in my room, um, like all the time, just, just as a kid, especially when I moved to Portland. Um, but yeah, you know, m- you know meeting, meeting new people, kind of just expanding what you, yeah, what you think you know about the world. Because, you know, when, you, when you're like a 13-year-old, you, you, think, you're, you, you think you're so smart. Um, at, least, at least I did. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as if a few things can happen, that kind of just like cracks everything open that you thought you knew about the world. So, so when was the discussion with your parents and was that stressful for you? Yeah. So I think I came out to my parents around like 2017, 2018. This is like when I was like 16 ish, I think. Um, I was definitely like nervous at first because like I, I, I knew, I knew that, you know, we, we had this more conservative background and I, I knew they were kind of, you know, 
not that not really that anymore or, or, or not really that you know in the first place as much uh, but I still didn't know quite what was going on because we didn't really talk about that kind of stuff um, so I didn't really know what the reaction would be um, the, the 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 way I decided to come out because I'm a nerd is I bought a uh, a, a, a lightsaber pride shirt um, so a, a, like a, a pride shirt that's just like all different colors of lightsabers yeah, yeah. and that's the way I decided to come out and my parents didn't get it for a day they just thought like <laughs> oh they're, they're like like oh Garrison that's a nice shirt I'm like oh thanks and then and then the day after I like told them so yeah this is a pride shirt because I think I'm like bi or queer or something and they're like oh that's cool you know like, we, we, we talked about it. I, 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 forget, I forget what it was, what it was, exactly, they were what it was cool. exactly like but yeah you know they were they were very supportive yeah um yeah, you know, they were very happy that I was, you know, growing as a person and, uh, you know, pr- you know, change, you know, just, you know, there's, uh, they, they were happy for a lot of reasons. Well, that sounds like it was probably the best possible outcome we could expect. I think we have uh, Dr. Anderson coming up. He'll help us parse out what happens when the response isn't quite so positive. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, we have Dr. Chase Anderson, the chief child psychiatrist uh, fellow at UCSF. He has a focus on LGBTQ issues. Let's uh, take a break for a moment. We'll come back, bring him on, chat some more with him and uh, our young Mr. Garrison Davis. Everyone stay tuned. so excited to have on our next guest we have dr chase anderson he is the rising chief of child psychiatry fellowship at ucsf i hope i got that right and uh has a focus on lgbtq issues and uh what i think it sounds like also uh underrepresented minorities uh and it's a real pleasure to have you on i really enjoy following you online you're a lot of fun Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me and feel free to call me Chase. I'm trying to flatten the hierarchy as much as possible. Thank you for coming on the show. Can you tell our listeners, and Garrison doesn't have any medical background, um, and honestly, Kaveh and I, I don't think know that much about psychiatry because mm-hmm. it's really just a different beast. And we've both been in the field of medicine, specifically gastroenterology for, for like over 10 years now. So we're pretty, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between psychiatry and GI, let's be honest, but mm-hmm. like as yep. far as a lot of the medications and kind of the updated DSM criteria, I wouldn't consider myself up to date. Um, so can you tell us, like, um, how did you choose a field and what kind of training goes into that? Yeah, excellent question. Um, so I think I was always born to be a psychiatrist, to be honest. Um, I think that really came to fruition when I was in undergraduate school. Um, I had a lot of friends and what we would do was stay up till dawn, just sharing our stories after we first met. Um, so like the sun would be rising and the birds would be like really annoying, but we were just talking about our stories. So like our birth to like now and who we were and like our dreams and hopes and fears. Um, and then I went to medical school and I was class president and went through depression and anxiety for the second time in my life, um, because of a lot of minority stress and things like that. And, but we had two classmates who passed away in my second year, um, So helping guide our class through that. And then 
in third year where we do our clinical rotations, I actually, my psychiatry is my first rotation. Um, my resident or the person who I was working with actually created space for somebody to open up about being gay and his wife didn't know. And he also had HIV, which his wife knew about. His kids didn't know about most of it. And I got to see him open up and feel safe crying. Um, and I think that just always stuck with me of, if you do things right, you can create a safe space for people to be themselves and really share who they are. Um, and then I always knew I was going to do pediatrics because I want to go back to the origins of things. Like we get to, in adult residency, you see a lot of adults who, if somebody had had a child psychiatrist earlier, maybe they wouldn't have ended up in the emergency room. Maybe they wouldn't have the horrible things that are happening to them now. Um, so I always wanted to go back to like, when kids are younger, can I create a safe space for them and an accepting adult who is there for them and maybe helps guide them through some of the things that are going on and helps to heal their families a little bit too. Um, so that's what got me into psychiatry was I think I always was meant to listen to people's stories. Um, and then in training, I went through four years of medical school. So like went through all the rotations of surgery, internal medicine, neurology, psychiatry, things like that. And then I did adult residency training. So that's three extra years. It can be four, but I left early to go start my child psychiatry fellowship at UCSF. So I'm now at UCSF in California. Well, actually I'm in Seattle because like I'm in, at, on vacation. Um, and, and so it's, it'll be either like five to six years total for the child psychiatry and adult residency training, depending on when you graduate. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. Your peers in med school, the second years, did they, was it suicide the, in the manner that they died? Yeah. So actually one of the things that we never discussed it fully um, mm -hmm. because the family didn't want to share what had happened at home out of, and out of respect, we never asked. Um, the first classmate passed away at the beginning of my second year and she had melanoma that was in remission and then came back. Um, she was a really wonderful person. Both of them were um, in people I always keep in my heart um, because they were represented some of the best parts of our class in a lot of ways. Um, for the second person, um, passed away at home. And so we never delved into it because that wasn't, I never felt like that was my role as class president. My role was just to provide a space of emotional support and safety for my other classmates as well. Yeah. We had to do like memorial services for both of them and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. As a, as, as a child psychiatrist, um, you deal with a lot of uh, mental health stuff relating to teens and adolescents, um, which there is a lot, I mean, that's, that, that itself is, I, I assume to be quite, qu quite, quite a big deal to handle. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm 18. Um, so it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in my head and other people's heads all the time. Um, but what kind of uh, stressors do you uh, do you kind of see that are more specific to the LGBT community and like LGBT youth specifically? Yeah, um, I love that question. I think it hits upon a big reason why I wanted to become a child psychiatrist um, is a lot of kids go through my, this thing called minority stress. Um, it's this thing that came into being or well, like was termed in 2003. And so a lot more people are talking about it now, but it's specific stressors for minoritized communities. Um, it started out as for LGBTQ plus populations, but then expanded to other minoritized populations as everybody was like, oh, 
we're all experiencing these stressors. So it's specifically for a specific population. So like getting called the N-word, um, getting called in FAG, um, those kind of things are specific stressors that go to specific communities and then cause mental health outcomes. Um, the way I try to describe it to people is imagine getting a paper cut. Um, you get one and it heals and it's annoying, but you're like, okay, it's gone. Imagine getting a thousand of paper cuts a day and you have no idea how you're bleeding everywhere. Um, and then you're like, how do I heal? And so that's what minority stress is for a lot of people. And the other way I like to describe it is actually using a Sailor Moon reference because I <laughs> a lot of Sailor Moon in Japanese, so I had yeah. to bring that in. People warned me that we were going to get the Sailor Moon. Oh, yeah. and I, had, I said, what is Sailor Moon? I'm so excited. What what is, so excited. What is oh. Sailor Moon? So I, I, uh, wait, you guys don't know what Sailor Moon is? It, it, I I've seen the, I've They're seen, old. Like, the uh, yeah, are, they, are they old like Pat from Saturday Night Live? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like, it's a 90s like cartoon. It's an anime. Um, so oh. it used to be a manga. So it was a, like drawn like in Japan. And then they made it into a Japanese like anime. So like a TV show. And it caught on, and then they did an English version, and the dubbing is like, you know, it's dubbing. It's dubbing. Um, yeah, we'll just say it's dubbing. And then they re-booted like, it recently. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they rebooted it, and then like... Just, you know, I'm deleting all of this. I have no idea this, what I'm you showing, guys are talking about. I'm trying to show Lizzie a picture of what Sailor Moon is. Can you see that, Lizzie? So cute. Yep. I know what Janime, uh, Japan, uh, anime is. Anime. Did you call it Japanime? It's I did. Anime. Which, by the way, is adorable, I think. I think I'm adorable. Afghanistanimation? Like, <laughs> no, this is Japanime. That's like my niece. Instead of hand sanitizer, she calls it Hanitizer. I'm like, that's genius. <laughs> I... I know I know Sailor Moon was very important for all of like the generation of queers older than me. Mm-hmm. I I grew up in like the oh, age of I, wow. I grew up I grew up in like the older age of you. Yeah, yeah, like like what like one generation older oh, than Chase, me. Chase Chase um, is 18. Yeah, he's describing me right now. Yeah, like, yes, I am. It's like yes. Like my my <laughs> Sailor Chase. Welcome to our world. <laughs> like am I my Sailor Yes, yeah, you are old. Yeah, that's what's happening. Rude. You're turning if, old. If you're not a zoomer, you're old. Cause like 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 my like my Sailor Moon was Steven Universe and like a, a lot of a lot of like yes. my age like that was the thing that helped us kind of I mean like you know Steven Universe like helped me like come to like come to accepting like my own queerness in like a lot of ways like watching that show as like as yeah as like you know in my you know thirteen fourteen fifteen uh, so years old. So explain to me how Sailor Moon or Steven Ooh. whatever what does that mean for queer people like how does that open doors or make you feel accepted because I have literally no frame of reference. So I'm not I mean, sure how that does it for you. Are there gay characters? Are there queer characters? Are there just androgynous characters? Like, what is it? Yeah, Sailor Moon, Garrison, like Sailor Moon had gay characters. That's why I like the Japanese yeah. version better is they actually yeah. like had a- They actually got the kissing couple. inside. Yeah. yeah. They, had <laughs> right? to cut, they, had, they had to cut it for the English. Yeah. Because yeah. English was not as good. Um, I. I liken it to also Charmed and also Buffy and things like that. Like a lot of gay men resonate with like women who find like their powers and things like that, but also have to adapt into everyday society. So it's almost like you have dual roles. Yeah. And it helps you like be yourself and you're like, I am powerful too. Um, I, you know, I, I totally get it. It makes sense. <laughs> I can, you know why I get it? Because I had X-Men growing up. And X-Men, X-Men is also a gay thing. X-Men also gay, but also racial yeah. stuff there too. Mm-hmm. For me, 
being like a Middle Eastern guy growing up in the you know 80s, there wasn't any like real Middle Eastern characters to look up to. The closest thing you had was something like the X-Men where you're like, okay, here's this group of people who are kind of disliked for no particular reason other than some other people in their group did something bad. You know, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, for example, in that, that situation. So I, I totally understood the X-Men. It was the closest thing I had. So um, I could see where you're, where, you're, where you're talking about with this. And I um, have no idea what you're talking about, but I love Buffy. Yeah, I'm I just do too. kidding. I do. Everyone, I, loves Bu- everyone loves Buffy. Yeah. First of all, I don't know that that's true. I love Buffy, but I do. I think the concept of trying to be two people at once and trying to reconcile that is a great um, way to describe how gay people or like, you know, gay people of color, I mean, trying to be macho and also be yourself and try to figure out how to do that when maybe you don't want to do anything really. So. Yeah. All right. Um, let me change gears a little bit to talk about trans issues um, because there are what I feel a whole new set of stressors to trans youth uh, that's really been pushed recently. We'll, we'll talk about why that might be in a second. But so far in 2021, state legislators in over 30 states have introduced about 100 different bills legislating the bodies and choices of transgender youth, um, targeting really what sounds like kids in their health care, access to health care, and, and sports as well. Arkansas was the first bill first to pass a bill like that and then you know uh texas senate on tuesday passed something on an 18 to 12 vote that would classify providing gender affirming health care to trans minors as child abuse so this is all in this new setting there's been a lot of push for this and, and they're going to argue that they want to stop experimental quote unquote experimental treatments on kids and they, you know, object to uh, children using puberty suppression treatment or, or hormone, hormones or even surgery for the purpose of uh, gender transitioning. It's unclear if these are going to pass. I mean, it, for Texas, for example, the, there was a bill that passed prior and stalled in the House. I su- imagine this next one will as well. The public outcry against this has been pretty severe. But let me just start by asking. There, there's a lot of questions here. I want to know what new stress this is. But... but what, if any, evidence do you know of are they using for this? Is there any evidence that the, these <laughs> things that are being, that we're doing, these medical treatments um, are, are harmful to kids? No. Um, <laughs> That's like, it. And, and, no. and we're going to end the podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. like we're done. Like, Good night, okay. everyone. See you later. Um, <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, th- and, and that's that is what exactly what I assume the an- answer is. But where are they? Where are these legislators pointing to? What are they pointing to? Uh, what are, is there any uh, evidence that's come out in the past that's been debunked, or is there anything that they are pointing to? Yeah, I think some of them are pointing to the fact that some people who do transition, about four percent, which is drastically low, will later detransition, um, and that is a process. I think that they're forgetting how damaging it is to have to go through puberty for a lot of people. And they don't, that's not their aim is to actually really care about the children right now. Let's put that out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other thing that they point to is saying that, oh, puberty blockers haven't been used in kids who are transitioning. They've been used for kids with precocious puberty or who have early onset puberty and they're extremely safe. And it's just a pause. It's a pause that gives kids time and families time to really uh, like figure out where do we want to go from here? 
who am I? How do I want to transition? Do I want to medically transition and surgically transition or just medically transition? It's just a pause. And what we're seeing is a lot of people using their bigotry and saying it's for kids, to be yeah. honest. It's just, um, you know, what I, what I read recently is that there, um, the puberty blockers have been around for a long time. And there's data, I think, of using it up to 10 years with yeah. no consequence, no objective data that shows a negative outcome. So, you know, I, I've heard testimony and hearing these trans kids say, like, I don't need to argue or tell you guys all my suicide attempts or my trauma. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you how happy transitioning has been for me. You know, it's just, it's yeah. moving. It may, you know, every time I listen to one of them, I'm like, I start crying. It's like, it's so moving to hear it. You know, it's so sad that. Yeah. They really shouldn't have to do that. It's yeah. Well, real it's frustrating. Like, right. right. I mean, there was abortion. Then the next crusade was gay marriage. And now this is like, the next, it's and it's yeah. all, it's a political crusade. So how do we argue? I guess, Chase, I don't know if you have anything in your pocket. How do we argue the science? Like, and how do we translate that into legislation like how do you win the argument of like you know we're scared and we don't you know the right the conservatives are just scared and they don't want to feel like quote unquote society's getting out of control and being unpredictable when they're just uncomfortable like how do you how do you win the argument when it's just they don't like it they don't like these people they don't like the whole thing yeah. i think that is the crux of what's happening in america um we're seeing a lot of fear and we're seeing a lot of anger and I think the thing that I've seen help the most is there are a lot of people who do science work and I love that. I think it's how do we relay that to the public and also how do we let trans people and trans individuals and trans children share their stories? Because I think it's the stories that, I mean, this is why I'm a psychiatrist. I think it's the stories that really capture people. Um, that's why I write about my own mental health, just to normalize these things. Like these are things that people go through kids shouldn't have to do that but i have seen the power of like us uplifting trans voices um i've seen people change their viewpoints because of that but the other thing that we had to need to add as a caveat is at a certain point you have to just let these people go like certain hateful people and bigoted people like some people we will not be able to change and like i'm sorry but no amount of facts is going to get to them no amount of stories and so how do we work around them? How do we get people in government who actually listen and actually care about other people? How do we do grassroots efforts? How do we protect trans people so they can get through these moments too? Um, yeah. Their arguments are like, these kids are being reckless when it's like the kids and their parents and their primary care doctor, and maybe you can speak to this, and a psychiatrist and a yep. social worker yes. and a, like, an endocrinologist. Science. It's a team of yeah, people right. working together who are making this decision to literally transition. It's an important yeah. word, mm -hmm. right? It's not just like, I'm going to go chop off my penis tomorrow. It's, no. you know, it's not as whimsical and, um, yeah. and it's reckless. It takes, it takes so long. It's like, years sometimes. Most, right. of, most yeah. of my friends are trans. Um, I mean, I've talked to my therapist about getting on estrogen. I, I may do that eventually. We'll see. Um, but like a lot of like a lot of the fear from a lot of these kids and their parents um, is, yeah, the fear from, you know, their parents and just and just, you know, fear of press in general, just it's so long and daunting. Like people, you know, people, you know, all like the commentators on the right and politicians talk about us as, 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 as like as this. It's like it's this instant thing, you know, um, right. and no, like. 
it can be so depressingly long of a mm-hmm. process right. to get to get stuff started, and just like so overwhelming. Um, right. It's like yeah, it's it, like it's uh, it's absurd, and um, and how some of these states' laws are like just like contradicting the medical consent age in all these states. It's like there's so much ridiculous uh, bullshit going on that's. Like yeah, rage is the only kind of emotion I can deal with right. it right now because it's just it's just there's so much of it all the time. Chase, we brought yeah. you on to help deal with, with the rage. <laughs> right. We don't we don't want to hear. Free session right now. Right. This, is, this is a free session. Sorry, man. Right. Sorry. Sorry, we're not asking you about your experience. Your we just medical you professional to treat our, our buddy here. Um, yeah. We're here to help out. Let, well, let me let me let me ask a, a question. What this is probably obvious, but why is this happening now? This is not new. All this stuff, as Garrison said, has been science for a long time. This has been stuff we've been doing for a mm-hmm. long time. People have been doing this for a long time. Why all of a sudden is there this massive push right now to in all these states? I have to feel there's politics behind this. I don't know what else it could be. Yeah. Um, so if you look back through history, until people's rights are enshrined by law, by the Supreme Court, they are vulnerable. And even then, people still go after them in different ways. We've seen this with Black Americans. We've seen this with LGBT like Americans. We've seen it across every minoritized group. And so taking a step back, look at the group that is the most vulnerable right now. It's trans individuals because their rights are not enshrined by law. And so mm-hmm. politically, who do you go after to build your base and to like right. basically whip up hatred? Right. Well, right. I, have, I have a question about that. Then, then who's next? Like I said, we did, know. you know, right. they're like anti-women yeah. by putting yeah. a, uh, trying to fight abortion, I think is, is we can agree is very, and is misogynist. Mm-hmm. The, the anti-gay marriage crusade, clearly trans are an easy target right now because yeah. It's it's challenging. I have trans patients and it's you know, it's not that easy when you see male on the chart and the patient identifies as female. It's um, you know, you want to be kind and compassionate and sometimes you say the wrong thing and then you feel like shit. It's it's a bit of a mind fuck sometimes to be honest. Like trying to to just be be kind, to try to be kind and not feel embarrassed that you're doing the wrong thing. Um, so I, what, who's the next, who's the next minority? Like, who are we going to pick on next? I mean, we're already going after voting rights and that's against every minoritized person because we voted in large numbers. So I think honestly, what I hope happens, and I think all of you know that I'm kind of an idealist is like, eventually we just let go of this kind of stuff. And when a new group comes along or a new like idea comes along, we're just like, oh, let's hear more about this instead of let's hate this first and then have to like work against that. A lot of this plays into like a lot of old-timey politics actually because like the mm-hmm. group that's behind uh, the anti-trans bills in more, than 20, in more than 20 states that have been introduced this past year is the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, which has uh, been designated an LGBT hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. They've done a lot of anti-gay like gay stuff in the past few decades. Um, you know, their whole bit is that like homosexuals are going to destroy Christianity. Um, so like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's like their whole bit. And, you know, and, and, to do. and like this year, they have really turned, uh, they've turned up the notch on the anti-trans stuff, you know, and a lot of their thing is, you know, about 
protecting, you know, the natural family, quote unquote. That's like their big thing. So, you know, if we're looking for future targets, this could be stuff, you know, more like um, sex workers. Um, it could be stuff like, you know, like non-monogamous r- relationships, you know. Um, and then, you know, all these things are, you know, what, when you add on another minority, like if you're a black person or a person of color, this just gets the dial turned up on like everything, right? So, you know, you, you can watch groups like um, the Alliance Defending Freedom and other kind of similar groups who really focus on putting legislation into states um, and seeing, you know, what their ideology is, how they're, you know, th- for this instance, you know, rooted in like this deep, you know, misunderstanding of biblical um, theology uh, that's really, you know, just to advance their kind of, you know, bigoted agenda and talking about, yeah, what other kind of possible targets will they come up with, you know, as the world's going to changing, what yeah. kind of new things will become accepted, and w- then, you know, pe- groups like this are going to find ways to attack them. And, you know, and trans issues are like the one thing right now, you know, because like they kind of lost the battle on the homosexuals. Yeah. Um, so trans is like the next thing they want to do. You're, you're exactly right. You mentioned it too, Chase. You said that like this is done to whip up the base, give them something to fight for. And this is kind of an easy, low-hanging fruit for them to fight the way they spin it. Because if someone just comes at you and says, hey, do you think we should be letting men into the women's bathroom? Do you think we should, they, you think we should be letting kids decide if they're going to become uh, a different sex when they're four? You know, they, they throw out this red meat that, that people will eat up. Um, and I it's guess, wrong. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's, wrong. that's my question. I mean, I know it's wrong. Can you, yeah. can you explain what misconceptions there are about trans health that are fueling this? And can we dispel a couple of them? I know there's more than we can count. There's like a multitude. We could have episodes on episodes. Um, I think one of the big things that comes up is, and this happened with gay people as well, um, kids don't know. Kids actually know from a very early age their sexual orientation as well as like, one of the big things is actually some LGBT people, they've done studies on this, actually know their sexual orientation earlier than straight um, like people do. And that we actually have a sense of self that comes about pretty early. That's one of the things that comes up in a lot of cases um, is basically saying things along those lines. Um, There's also saying like with puberty blockers saying like, oh, it has like all these negative consequences. The ones that I like remember off the top of my head are sometimes there is lower bone density, but you give vitamin D and calcium, (laughs) you can fix that. And also sometimes people are a little bit taller depending on like which way they're transitioning and things like that. And because your growth plate closes a little bit later and sometimes you get a headache, like, okay, those things happen, but these things are safe. So there's also that. Um, I think the other thing is that it's just people say, as Garrison really aptly put it, this is destroying families. Who are you to say what a family looks like? Um, A lot of people who are LGBT, we build our families because of like this issue of not being accepted by people who are bigoted. So we build our families and just because your family looks one way, doesn't mean it's the right way. It doesn't mean that it's set in stone. And also thinking about just like families come in wholly different ways. Like we have the gay med Twitter family on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's a family. Like yeah. a family is somebody who supports you and is with you and also challenges you to be a better person. Yeah. I mean, that's very well said. Thank you. Um, I think the Supreme Court will be hearing cases um, on foster care families, I think, because 
I think there's um, Christian churches that support foster care programs and they are saying they don't want gay people to support them. So that's the next battle, which, you know, it's just, it's so sad, right? Like if someone wants to help a kid, like let them help a kid, but you're, so you really um, stated very well, I think what the very few pretty minor negative consequences are. I mean, I don't want to be any shorter, so maybe that's a real consequence, but um, you know, I'm, I'm totally happy with my height, but th- those are, those are meaningful. Um, yeah. but those are the negative consequences. So can you speak to the data and any outcome numbers for the positives? So yeah. I think clearly suicide, it would yes. be the, maybe the number that's the most striking. So if you could share that with us. Of course. Um, so there is a new study that came out that actually shows that not only do people have decreased suicidality in terms of if you let the, if you help them with transitioning, but also another thing that we always need to think about is LGBTQ plus Americans have higher rates of substance use, like astronomically so. Yeah. Back in the day, and what was taught in medicine sometimes and still is in some ways is the thinking that people who are minoritized or people who are LGBTQ plus are experiencing higher rates of substance use because of genetic factors. Genetics in some ways do predispose people and epigenetics and things like that. I can break that down if we need to. Um, But what they're looking at now is that minority stress in and of itself leads to higher rates of substance use. So because somebody is being told every day, like being called the N word, being called like blah, 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 what happens is that you use substances as coping because they don't have people who are around them who support them. So they have to figure out a way through in that meantime. So not only does suicidality decrease, but also substance use will decrease if we are just using the proper pronouns for a person. The other thing is that um, it decreases mental health like issues overall. So not only depression and suicidality, like suicidality, people hear that and they're like, ooh, that's a huge thing, which it is. But also we decrease anxiety, we decrease other like mental health issues as well. You just make the person feel accept accepting a person makes them better, like just in general. And I think the other thing I want to point out is all of these people who are going after trans people, going after minoritized people, we're not bothering you. Why do you need to bother us? We have other things to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Okay. Um, man, there's so many. There's so many more questions I have. I, we have a whole, I have a whole list of questions about the sports issue, but I don't think we have enough time for that because I, so far, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's, anything this the I want, there's nothing else. this I want to yeah. cut. All right. so let, people, I don't, let people play sports. Also, let people play sports. It's, like, just a, it's just an especially, argument. Especially it's just a right wing argument. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids don't, the other kids don't care. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the other kids are like, I just want to play soccer. <laughs> like, right. Right. Calm down. It's fine. I don't get the sense that anyone cares about this. I just don't. And, and actually, I mean, the, nobody talks about the fact that, because always, everyone's always focused on the testosterone levels. Like mm-hmm. testosterone automatically makes you a better athlete. I mean, I don't know if there's any proof to that. And if there was, I mean, there's, you can have fluctuating levels of testosterone in young women, right? You can mm-hmm. have women with, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome and they can have higher levels of testosterone. I don't know if there's any evidence that makes them greater athletes than anyone else. Right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to talk about that later. Um, we'll have an endocrinologist on to help us actually answer yeah. these questions. I think, um, I think it's just a, a way in for the conservatives to be like, 
yeah. anti-trans, like, because, you know, it's not fair for our women. So if you make your daughter, argument, Your daughter plays soccer. Your daughter's going to lose the games now. That's, the, <laughs> that's what they're doing, right? They're just, yeah. like, they're trying to find some way to get yeah, to people. it's just a bad it's, way. I'm... All right, let's... um. Let's do some listener questions because I did Ooh. put out a couple listener questions. Let's see if there's, there's anything here for us. Um, this one comes from Dobby, the street guitarist on Twitter, <laughs> who, by the way, he's a great musician at Dobby's underscore music. If you ask him to do a cover song for you, he will do it for you. It's great. He makes a whole YouTube. It's great. Anyways, check him out. Um, so he asks, are there any widely held misconceptions about the treatment of LGBTQ people, like the horrible one about the degree to which black people can feel pain? I do realize the enormity of this particular can of worms as I type. So mm -hmm. we, we, we talked about maybe a little bit regarding the misconceptions, um, but it, is there anything else that comes to mind when it comes to misconceptions about uh, treating LGBTQ uh, people? Yes. Um, first, I also want to ask if if Dobby is a free elf right now. Like he he is like, a free elf. Okay. You, you'll see videos of him uh, just playing guitar on the streets. Okay. All right, so I'm he's here a for free, it. free 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 mm -hmm. elf. Um, I think so. We've talked about this a little bit, but I think one of the other misconceptions or one of the things that can happen, especially in mental health, is a lot of LGBTQ plus Americans are diagnosed with personality disorders when they come in, like for psychiatric reasons. So they aren't diagnosed with depression. They aren't diagnosed with anxiety. They're diagnosed with personality disorders like borderline personality disorder or borderline personality structuring or like narcissistic personality disorder. So to take a step back, personality structuring or personality disorders are ways in which somebody, because of how they were brought up or a trauma they've experienced, will react in certain ways. And that's to keep themselves safe that personality structuring really helped them when they were younger and actually was a benefit to them. But as they get older, sometimes it's not as much of a benefit. So we help to like create a little bit more flexibility and to help them tolerate the distress that can occur in real life. Because a lot of the times they feel like everything's at a 10 when mm -hmm. it might be at a five. And that's just because of experiences they've gone through. So we need to have more compassion around that in general. But when a lot of LGBTQ plus Americans come in for psychiatric reasons, they are diagnosed with these personality disorders. And that's because we don't think about, people see them and make assumptions. Um, and mm -hmm. physicians do that, psychiatrists do that. In the DSM, so that's our diagnostic like criteria manual, being gay was seen as basically a disorder, a mental, mental health illness for years and years and years. That changed recently. Um, so, people are coming in with implicit biases around LGBTQ mental health and what an LGBTQ person is going through. So those personality disorders are overdiagnosed for those people when they're actually probably experiencing minority stress or like PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder instead. And what you mentioned earlier, maybe that there's a lot of substance abuse. So people mm -hmm. will dismiss maybe some of their other concerns yeah. by saying, oh, well, you're just using crack. You don't really have gender dysphoria or anything else because of that, so. Here's another question from Zach Radcliffe at Zach Radcliffe PhD. What words of advice do you have for closeted students or trainees as they navigate going to pre-med, med school and beyond? Yeah, I think that one's, first of all, to anybody who is closeted right now, um, we will all try to create a safer space for you to be out. That's what we're trying to do on Twitter. And like, I think a lot of people are trying to do that in medicine. Um, 
I think the first thing is, is find your community, which is hard, but like, that's why people have anonymous Twitter accounts. And there are people who are anonymous on Twitter and like come out to me like through DMs and things like that. And that's always a gift. And it gives me an opportunity to be like, hey, we still have work to do because this person doesn't feel safe. I think words of advice are first, find your community. The other thing is take your time. It's a process. Um, sometimes people feel like they're forced to come out or they're outed and that's really dangerous. And so we want to take a step back and like make sure that person feels safe to come out and recognize that it's a journey for them and let them have that journey while also creating a safe space for them. Um, the other thing is, even if you're not out, try to find mentors who are. Um, and that won't out you necessarily, but if you do, if the person does find out and they're a trusted mentor, then you have somebody to talk to. Um, I think that's the fourth thing is find somebody to talk to about this because yeah. it's hard. It's really hard to go through medicine in general. Like the medical culture needs a drastic shift. Yeah. But if you're closeted and gay or LGBTQ plus or different in some way, you need to find support some kind of way. So like, that's yeah. why I mentioned Twitter first, because it's a, like, we're trying to create a positive community right now. Some people are. Thank you yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? like, I, I've been on Twitter. I don't know. I'm like, Chase, totally that positive. is the nicest, most overly kind statement I think uh, we've ever made on this. Um, <laughs> like, people need to shape up, but like uh, yeah. a lot of people are trying. No, well, thank you. Thank you thank for all you're doing on that. Yeah, man, you are a ray of uh, sunshine on Twitter and on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, both of you guys. Um, Garrison, it is always so much fun to have you on. I hope you decide to let us uh, harass you some more on the show. Uh, we have a good time when you come on and you have a lot to add. Can you tell people uh, where to find you? Um, yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Hungry Bowtie for uh, vi- r- reporting and also more cat pictures now. <laughs> so a, a mix of reporting on like far right stuff and protests and then, you know, pictures of me in a poncho holding a cat. Um, and, and also, I uh, appear uh, semi-regularly um, on Behind the Bastards. You can listen to that. I also have a, have a podcast series about the Portland protests called Uprising, a guide from Portland. And, oh, yeah, I'll be working on more, more and more podcasts this next year. So stay tuned. Yes, definitely keep us updated on what happens with you and all these podcast appearances. Listen to Behind the Bastards. Check out my appearance recently on Behind the Bastards. It's an amazing show, and that's where we found Garrison, too. So we can't emphasize that show enough. I mean, if you're going to have to choose between our show and their show, you should choose their show. But <gasps> if you're going to listen to two shows, you should listen to both of our shows, is what I'm trying to say. Um, thank you, Garrison. Uh, Dr. Chase Anderson, where can people find you? Um, so I'm on Twitter at, um, at Chase T.M. Anderson. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram and that's at Aries T. Muses Dream Cooper. Don't ask. It was like, I created it when I was going through like applying for residency. <laughs> I was like, don't find me. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. Those are the two places to find me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you to Nadim, our producer for helping us get these out there. Follow us at Twitter at the house of pod. That includes you, Garrison. You don't follow us on Twitter. Don't think I don't notice that. I, I notice don't? That. He doesn't no, follow Silent do Live. You do not. <laughs> if you have questions about quote unquote old stuff in the future, <laughs> you can look to us and I will, I will answer those questions. Um, anyways, thank you guys so much. It was a real pleasure having you both on. Thank there, you. I followed you on Twitter. I hope you're happy. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> 
I'll take a pity follow. Oh my god. All right. Yeah, we, we're like, both chiefs. Uh, we're chief, both chiefs. Chief so we know. Elect. We, we, chief elect. You're, you're, elect, you're talking yeah. to two chiefs, so we chief know elect. what we're talking about. Chief okay. Elect. Yeah. Garrison, chiefs are basically when you're super cool and everyone in your class likes you. Basically, no, you can see. no you're not they cool. Elect you. You're a big nerd. Yeah, big I'm nerd. nerd. I do a lot of work. For, I didn't know the, there was like this hierarchy. There's a hierarchy. In, yeah. Garrison, here's a, here's a here's a lesson for life. There's a hierarchy in everything. I know. That's why I'm an anarchist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.